Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the Medical Director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. I recently sat down with my friend and colleague, Ryan Buchholz, who is a practicing pediatrician at the Upper Cardoza Health Center in Washington, D.C., to talk about how we address food insecurity with our families. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So hi, Ryan. So good to have you here to talk about food insecurity. And I know that you've had a lot of experience with it. And um, this may sound strange, but I was in practice for many years before I recognized that the children coming to me were actually hungry. And I think it was in the recession of 2008 that I realized how tight food budgets were. And, you know, I practiced in a weight management clinic, so I saw children who had obesity. And at that time, nobody really thought that kids with obesity could also be kids with food insecurity and actually be kids who were hungry. And I think that as I've gone over the years, I've realized more and more how important it is to ask about food insecurity in practice and how crucial it is to families and how often families won't tell you that until you ask. And so I was so proud of the Academy when we wrote our food security policy and we're asking all of our pediatricians to ask the two food insecurity questions. And I'm just gonna repeat those now because I think they're so important. And um, we're asking all the pediatricians to ask their patients um, within the past 12 months, uh, were, we wor- were you worried whether your food would run out before you got money to buy more? And within the past 12 months, was the food that you bought just didn't last and you didn't have money to get more. So I think that you can ask these in person, but many people find it more comfortable to ask this uh, on a questionnaire for patients because it's a really sensitive topic that people don't really like talking about much until you express concern. How do you handle this in your clinic? Thanks, Andy, um, for drawing attention to this really important issue. Uh, I work in a community health center in uh, urban Washington, D.C., and the large majority of my patients are immigrants or children of immigrants. Uh, I also practice internal medicine, so I get to often take care of the parents as well as their primary care. And even in the population where I work and the population whom I serve, many of the kiddos have Medicaid and families are, are of low income. But this is something that just even recently we have started screening patients uh, and families for food insecurity. We, as a community health center, uh, use a tool called PREPARE, uh, which was developed by the National Association of Community Health Centers. And in it, uh, it's a screening tool for looking for many social determinants of health, of which food insecurity is certainly one of the uh, key ones. And we asked the question, in the past year, have you or any of your family members you live with been unable to get any of the following when it was really needed? Food, utilities, childcare, clothing, medicine, or any health care. And I have to be honest, it's been a little tricky to implement this. Um, it's actually a the prepare tool is a relatively long questionnaire. It's got about 20 questions. and. We've gone back and forth between trying to have our social services case managers screen everyone when they're a new patient, 
to trying to integrate some of these questions into well visits and primary care visits. But whichever way uh, we do it, which often in, in my case, I often ask the families uh, within the visit, it's something that, as you point out, is, is so important. It struck me the importance of food insecurity to health uh, when I was just out of college. I had the opportunity to work as a Leland Hunger Fellow uh, with the Congressional Hunger Center, and I had a six-month field placement in South Florida. And during that time, I met uh, a man who had been a truck driver for many years. Uh, by his own admission, kind of not eating uh, so healthy, steak and potatoes kind of guy. And unfortunately, he developed diabetes, and because of the complication of the diabetes, uh, became blind and was as such, no longer able to be a truck driver. So his income dropped uh, quite uh, significantly, and he was not only unable to really afford healthy food, but unable to afford much food at all. And it wasn't until his physician referred him to the local nonprofit organization where I was based uh, that worked with farmers recovering fresh produce that would otherwise go to waste that he really became able to access healthy, fresh fruits and vegetables. And he told me, he knew I was interested in going into medicine. He said, Ryan, when you become a physician, I want you to remember my story. So I wrote about him in my med school essay. I wrote about him in my essay for residency, just because his story really pointed out to me the importance of physicians connecting with local community resources and realizing that their power of recommendation of a community resource can sometimes be so much more effective for patients who need more than a prescription for a medication or, or a consultation with a, another medical specialist. You know, it couldn't be more important um, to think about the importance of food to health. And this sounds so simple when I say it, but I think that um, we assume a lot. We often assume the patients and our families can get hold of the food that they need. Um, restoring the connection of healthy food being important to healthy growth and development is important too because the parents are usually often flooded with a lot of um, food marketing and lose that sense of what it really means to have uh, optimal nutrition for their child. Um, it's, uh, and it's impactful. So I was at a hunger conference and I was sitting next to the principal of an elementary school and he was in an area where there was a lot of food insecurity and he said, well, you know, um, we do our standardized testing at the beginning of the month because by the end of the month, the kids are hungry and they don't do as well on the test. And that really mm -hmm. shocked me because I thought this should not be our approach to food insecurity. We should be understanding uh, how to help these children and families get access to healthy food. Um, it's so important. And you can't tell by looking who's uh, having food insecurity. And I remember a family of mine who I'd been following in my clinic, and the kids were doing pretty well. We were, were handling their uh, obesity. And uh, they were away uh, for several months. They came back, and their, their um, father had passed away. And because of that, uh, their income had drastically dropped and their diet had completely changed to what they could manage on uh, very little money. And uh, both kids had uh, had enormous gains in their weight because of the kind of food. And so um, 
we think of uh, poverty for sure and neighborhoods at risk, but we also need to think of our families that have personal or family tragedies where income has been compromised, um, often in disasters. Food banks, uh, people uh, lose income and lose access to healthy food, and food banks are just inundated uh, with people that uh, need food and uh, for a fairly long time after that disaster. Um, and I, I think it's so important. Um, how have you done, Brian, with your team? Is your team aware of this? And how have you talked to them about this issue in your clinic? It's a great question. Um, my team, uh, thankfully, uh, is, uh, is becoming more and more aware of the impact of insecurity on health and the way that other social influencers affect uh, children and families' health. We were fortunate uh, several years ago to be approached by a local nonprofit in D.C. called D.C. Greens that uh, focuses on food justice and food edu education about uh, working together to implement a produce prescription program. And thankfully, over the last uh, few years, this has blossomed into something that our local Department of Health, D.C. Health, has partnered with local farmers markets and has enabled families like the family of uh, a young uh, eight-year-old girl who I saw earlier this week with her mom for a weight management visit. Uh, she had been over the 99th percentile uh, in BMI since she was two. Mom is a line cook at a local restaurant. Dad is a dishwasher. She's the only child and uh, was eating a lot of calorically dense, sugary, uh, starch-type focused uh, foods. And it wasn't until she was six, just a couple of years ago, that we recognized that her family was having trouble affording fresh produce. And because of the awareness within our, our health center of the impact of food insecurity on health, we were able to connect them to a local program called Produce Plus. And by virtue of having a Medicaid card, or it could have been either a food stamp uh, eligibility or WIC participation, or even for older patients, Medicare or Social Security uh, supplemental in disability income, they could qualify for $10 a week of fresh uh, vegetables, fruits, and cut herbs from local farmers markets. And uh, through this program, my patient and her mother have become accustomed every Saturday. They go to the local Columbia Heights farmers market in the neighborhood where I practice, and uh, the little girl helps pick out uh, fresh fruits and vegetables with her mom and as a result she i've found is much more motivated to eat them and and she can even make her own guacamole she told me she loves <laughs> avocados and uh you know it, this is the type of thing that has has led not only to her empowerment as an eight-year-old in influencing her health in a, in a healthy way in a positive way, but it has also led to a reduction or BMI percentile over the last uh, couple of years. So what you're saying is so important because um, we never, uh, as pediatricians, I think when we ask a question, we always like to have uh, a help or an answer for a patient. So when we ask uh, questions about food insecurity, um, we like to know what we can do then to help. And it sounds like you've gotten really connected with your community resources. And just to remember that, um, WIC and SNAP are vitally important federal food programs, um, and people who are eligible may not have signed up for those. And so one of the most important things we can do is remind people or help people sign up for programs where they are eligible, um, and for free and reduced lunch programs as well. Um, one of the things that's, that's really concerning is 
Um, the kids may have uh, food at school, and they often do, but on weekends or in the summer, they may often not have enough food to eat. Um, and so uh, many uh, agencies have actually send backpacks of food home with the kids for their families. And uh, kids in the summer, where it's supposed to be a happy, happy active time, uh, the summer feeding program is uh, serving only a minority of the uh, kids on free and reduced lunch. So have you had any experience with that kind of phenomena where kids uh, who are doing pretty okay in school with their food, suddenly when school's out, um, uh, things aren't going so well? Unfortunately, yes. Sometimes when I see children for a well visit or, or other visit in the fall mm -hmm. and we see that some of the prior gains have been lost in terms of their healthy habits and whatnot, I do sometimes hear from parents, well, yeah, you know, they haven't been in school. Um, as uh, the obvious reason why uh, they, the gains uh, had been lost, uh, which certainly is a challenge uh, mm -hmm. for many families where both of the parents are working and, uh, you know, it's not always easy to just uh, afford to have kids in camp all summer mm -hmm. or, uh, or sometimes young kids are on their own for some of their mm -hmm. meals. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm thinking about the gentleman you talked about who was the truck driver with diabetes. And we know from adults that... Um, who have type 2 diabetes, for example, when they have a healthy diet, their hemoglobin A1Cs drop, and um, it's so important. And um, we've been hearing a lot about adult hospitals having food pantries in the hospital and uh, assessing for food insecurity before the patient goes home and then sending them to the food uh, pantry to get food when they come home. And some pediatric hospitals are starting to think about that. Um, have you talked to your local hospital at all about doing any of that? That's a great question. Uh, as yet, I have not, but mm -hmm. uh, one of, we have been working with our local hospitals on some other efforts to try mm -hmm. and make them sugary mm -hmm. beverage uh, mm -hmm. free zones, but uh, it's a great idea. Certainly, right. I have seen over the years, sometimes hospitals don't always serve the healthiest food, right. and, right. And, uh, yeah. and and that's that's a great thing to hear that yeah. Certain hospitals are starting to move in that direction of assessing food insecurity, even doing something about it on discharge. Right. Well, I often think nowadays that skills around your ability to access healthy food and even our patients' ability to uh, shop and know what is healthy and prepare healthy food are now health-related skills. They're not trivial skills. They're actually integrally related to their health. And I remember um, there were, have been times in our clinic where we actually taught a cooking class and um, took the adolescents who, shopping and uh, talked about healthy food and how to shop a grocery store and find the healthy food there and actually talked about preparing food because we realized that um, that's actually a skill that some of them hadn't even been exposed to at home. So That's, that's yeah. uh, so important. Yeah. Uh, in our health center, we are co-located with a WIC office mm -hmm. and the WIC office in our health center has a little demonstration kitchen certainly one of the most fun parts of my practice when I get to go hang out with kids in the kitchen and yeah. we make something and yeah. it's fun yeah. to see them try kale chips or something yeah. that they yeah. might not have otherwise uh, tried or right. and also to help teach their parents because we do it as a wellness visit with the parents as well um, the parents are learning uh, mm -hmm. recipes that they can take home and using foods that uh, that, that they can get in the grocery store right. and our local farmers markets it's certainly one of the, the joys of my work and is a reminder to me of this is why I'm a physician right. it's not 
you know, not to prescribe more medications, okay. not to necessarily send more consultations. Sure, those when they're appropriate, that's mm -hmm. what I need to do. But uh, you're right. This is a this is a health issue addressing food insecurity. And one example I can think of is a patient and uh, family whom I just recently met. Uh, the mother and her three-year-old recently immigrated from Central America where her husband had actually been killed by a local gang and she and her own mother, the grandmother of the three-year-old, were basically forced out of their home by a gang and realized they, they had to move and they ended up coming to DC and she was she was pregnant so I didn't meet them until after uh, her newborn uh, was born at the newborn visit and uh, I saw the three-year-old in the visit as well, and he hadn't yet established care, primary care. And so we made an appointment for another date uh, for the three-year-old. When I was able to evaluate him, I saw he was—he uh, had expressive speech delay. There are certainly uh, downstream consequences mm -hmm. to food insecurity and other traumatic experiences that obviously this family had had uh, uh, experienced. Uh, but some of those do include developmental. Uh, issues, um, certainly mental health problems or poor health in general outcomes in the long run. We know certainly from some of the work around uh, adverse childhood experiences and that uh, those can lead to, to long-term uh, health consequences and food insecurity is certainly uh, not a good childhood uh, experience. You know, poor educational outcomes mm -hmm. is, is another potential uh, downstream effect. And so you're right, this is a health issue in so many ways for us to be addressing. Yeah, and you know, it's such a good reminder you're giving us because um, we screen for food insecurity and we may do that, but we have to remember that the child coming in with headaches or stomach pain or not doing well in school or um, attention, what looks like attention problems, maybe the child who's food insecure and that has to be rolled into our differential diagnoses. And uh, we know that um, the educational outcomes for persistent food insecurity are poorer. And so knowing um, when in our diagnostic workup to include food insecurity in that workup. And we know adolescents who uh, have food insecurity are more likely to be depressed about it. Um, and kids really feel stigmatized by uh, not having enough food. They don't talk about it. They feel sometimes ashamed that they don't have enough food. They're depressed about it. Um, and I think it's well worth thinking that screening is very important, but keeping food insecurity in your differential diagnosis is also extremely important. So um, I just a, a good reminder you've given us to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, food insecurity is, is much more common than many of us realize. Mm -hmm. You know, the statistics show that approximately one in six children in the U.S. Uh, lives in a food insecure household, that meaning where access to adequate food is limited by either lack of money or other resources. And just thinking about that, that's, you know, out of all the kids in the United States, that's, that's a lot of children who are affected by food insecurity. Yeah, and one thing that really became very clear to me is that when we, when we look at the children who have overweight or obesity, and we look at the children who have food insecurity, we have, you know, at, during the height of the recession, close to 50% of our children affected by some significant nutritionally related problem. So it's not a trivial issue and it's not a marginal issue. It's a foundational issue for children. And I, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves 
um, remind policymakers uh, and schools that uh, good optimal nutrition is actually foundation for child health. It's hard to be healthy when you don't have enough food. And it's hard to be healthy when you don't have enough good food. And uh, food is also a very relational issue with families. And so families that don't have enough food to eat are very are stressed about that. The parents are worried about that. That affects their relationship with kids. Um, families may be, you know, um, kids know not to ask for the things uh, at the supermarket that they want when families are struggling for money. And it's a very stressful time. And I think it's, it's we sit in our offices um, and we need and we are asking ourselves to look outside those walls and really be aware of what's happening in our communities. Um, who's hungry? How do we help alleviate some of that hunger and food insecurity? How do we connect with our community agencies to help uh, uh, shore up that network of uh, foundations of health for our children? So I think it's really important that we know how foundational this is for child health. Absolutely. So, One thing I want to mention as a pediatrician who cares for many children of immigrants uh, in this time where uh, the issue of public charge has been an issue that's brought attention to some of the public benefits and whether or not that can affect someone's immigration status. I want to make sure that uh, pediatricians know that the uh, programs such as WIC, food stamps, school nutrition program participation does not confer public charge status to an immigrant. So those are programs have been protected. Right. Very important to know that we can recommend these without fearful, fearing for our patients. So, so thank you, Ryan. It's been lovely talking to you today and uh, so, such an important topic to bring to everybody's attention. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Ryan. Talking about food insecurity can be hard. But as evidenced by this conversation, it is incredibly important. Please remember to check out some of the resources on the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weights website and the Bright Futures website. Some of the ones that may be most relevant to this conversation include the CME module on food insecurity and our recorded webinar on the latest research about food insecurity. In addition, be sure to check out the Food Insecurity Toolkit for pediatricians. These are just a few of my favorites, but be sure to check out both the Institute and Bright Teachers website for more. The views, information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.